This is the Village Church Q&A podcast, where our goal is to create digital, shareable, and helpful content to make disciples who will go, grow, and overcome. Hey, Village Church. Welcome back to the Village Church Q&A podcast. Pastor Michael here. I am joined by good friend, Pastor Craig Jarvis. Uh, Craig was with us yesterday, and Craig is the founder and CEO of CASE, Christian American Student Experience. Um, Craig, let's just take a moment, explain in 10 seconds or less, what is CASE? So CASE is an opportunity. Oh, first of all, thanks for having me back. It's awesome to be with you, Village Church. Um it's a it's a real privilege to be able to disseminate scripture with you and talk with your pastor. He is a, he is a godly man. I appreciate the opportunity to do this. Um, case is a uh, it's an opportunity for us to bring over students from other countries and bring them into uh, America and give them an American experience. We want to interject the gospel in everything mm-hmm. that we do. So three main areas we do this is in the home, in the school and then on cultural experiences. So the kids can come over, the students can come over for three weeks to two months. It's awesome. Uh, and then we take them and put them into a Christian school. They get the, um, the Christian uh, education. Uh, a lot of times they don't understand the language, but they get to go to the chapel services and things like that, yeah. interact with the, ch- with the other students. And then we take them to Christian homes. They pray with homes and around the table and get That's to see cool. things they probably don't see in their own culture. And then we take them on a weekend excursion like this past weekend. We took them to a snow camp hmm. uh, up in Wisconsin. And so they got to worship and they got to play out in the snow and it was it was a blast. So um, those are the three areas we, we emphasize and it's going good. So we're looking awesome. to bring over some more students and get more churches and, and uh, schools involved in the, in the program. That's very cool. And you guys have a um, Bible study outside of, uh, in your home actually. We do. Um, tell me about that. So we call it 242, uh, after Acts 242. Uh, there's um, uh, three main things we do there. You can find this in, in the first chapter of Acts. What the ch- early church was doing, gathered at uh, our Bible study, and, and uh, they were devoting themselves to the disciples' teaching, which always came from the Word of God. So we spend time in the Word of God. Um, they have fellowship, so we always have food. And Preach. then they always have uh, <laughs> prayer. So those are the three things that we do every single Wednesday night. We have we have a bunch of people that come in and just kind of um, process with us for a little while, and um, and it's it's a lot of fun. So it's going very well. Thank you for that. Um, so we are uh, answering questions that are the most common questions that you get asked as a pastor. And uh, so today we have a, another one for you. And the question is this. Um, how can God still be good and send people to hell? Now, for our listeners, I want to throw you back to episodes 41 to 45. All of those episodes are on the nature of hell. And so if you want to go deeper, that would be a great place to go with this question. But Pastor Craig, to, to kind of start off, let's build some parameters around this. Um, there are a number of views on hell. Annihilationism would, would teach that um, people who don't trust in Christ go to hell temporarily, and then God annihilates their consciousness um, for all of eternity, so they cease to exist. Um, our shared position is that hell would be eternal conscious torment for anybody who does not trust in Jesus. Mm-hmm. So hell is a little bit more palatable, culturally mm-hmm. speaking, if annihilationism is true, the problem with that is the Bible just doesn't teach it, mm-hmm. right? So we, even though I want it to be true, it doesn't mean it can be true. Right. So, unfortunately. Unfortunately. I, I mean, preferably, like, I would love to look at people and say, no, annihilationism is true. Like, it feels good, mm-hmm. and I see how people, you know, try to make it sound that way, but it's just not. So that being said, 
the question really emerges out of a more classical view of hell, which is eternal conscious torment. So if God's righteous and if he loves us and if we're made in his image and we're dear to him and we're beloved to him, then how could he take what the world calls a child of God, everybody's a child of God, Mm -hmm. and then literally torment them for all of eternity? Mm -hmm. So it's a good question. And let me first of all start where I started yesterday. And that is in order to understand and get an honest view of God on this uh, and and an answer that is is fair to us and yet honest with God's character and his nature, you have to go to the beginning of the story. So it's always good to start at the beginning of the story, uh, which is, according to God, Genesis 1. That's where our story begins. Our story in, intersects with God. He created us in his image. When God created us in his image, he created us with this incredible ability to glorify him, to take, like we talked about yesterday, everything that God has created and use it in a way that would bring him glory, would bring him honor. Uh, and in doing so, we enjoy him and he enjoys us. We're this is, made for it. it. It's great. It's Westminster Confession to, to enjoy God forever. So we, we can start that process now because we're created in God's image, but because of sin, sin came in in Genesis 3 and knocked all that on its keister. We, we are not and any longer able to do um, this activity of bringing God glory without redemptive help from him. Mm. Um, and so Adam and Eve, uh, their choice to sin passed on to their son. Obviously, he becomes a murderer. Uh, and from there, you go to Genesis 6, and God says that the violence has filled the earth, and then we have Noah in the flood. And yep. uh, I, lo- I love the line, and then one thing led to another, and now we're here. Exactly. And, and we get to the point where, okay, what, what are we going to do? And we, we see glimpses of, of the redemptive story taking place in the Old Testament, telling us that there's a Redeemer coming. The sacrifices, the the activities of purification, all of these things that the Israelites did indicated that there would be a redeemer who would come and he came in the gospels in the person of Jesus Christ. He's introduced as Jesus because he would save his people from their sin. That's not just sin that that uh, is in us, but it's also the sin that condemns us and sends us to hell. It's, it, it's the sin that perverts our lifestyle. It's a sin that perverts our marriage. It's a sin that perverts our jobs. It's a sin that perverts our lusts and our loves. It's a sin that, that takes everything that we're supposed to be doing to bring God glory and twists it into something that is really pleases us more than pleases God. Jesus comes to save us from our sins. So he lived, he's the only human being that ever lived a pure, sinless life. And the activity of his sinless life, he fulfills every single requirement of the law. So he lives this perfect life and becomes the trophy, ultimate trophy of grace of a full human being, although fully God at the same time, who lived this human life, fulfilled every requirement of the law so that when he volunteered to die on the cross, and it was a volunteer, he wasn't dragged there kicking and screaming. He gave his life so that we could be redeemed from the curse and condemnation of the law. So a proper understanding of that leads us to this question one more time. Why would a good God send people to hell? Because we understand a good God doesn't send people to hell. That is our ultimate destination because we not only are sinners by birth, but we're sinners by choice. Everyone is a is is guilty of making choices to sin, and one sin against God is enough to break our entire hope of ever getting to heaven. Yep. See, that doesn't vibe with a lot of Americans yeah, and Canadians. Yeah. 
right? <clears throat> it or grinds anyone. like our 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 culture grinds our expectations of that. It doesn't feel fair. Yeah, right. And, and it doesn't feel fair because it doesn't just grind us against our culture. It grinds our, the thing that we have in common in every culture is it grinds our pride. Yeah, we we like to think higher than ourselves than we really really should, and a proof that we are our inclination is more towards sin than it is toward godliness is evident from the minute where we come out of the womb and we have to teach. I mean, nobody ever needs a class on how to be bad. Mm. We learn classes on how to be good. We learn classes how to be better. That's what we spend our money on. Uh, but nobody ever needs a class on how to be selfish or proud or or you know lustful we that comes natural to us because we're infected and I'm a pastor speak sin. for yourself dude. <laughs> yeah that's right <laughs> yeah well I'm the chief of sinners so that's you right. pick the wrong guy to come <laughs> in and talk to you yeah listeners hear the sarcasm yeah <laughs> so so the, so we're asking the wrong question it's not why would a good god send people to hell mm. the question is why would a good god why would a holy god ever give up his son so that we could have hope of redeemed uh, of of redemption from a destination every one of us deserves, mm. and I, and and I love that because it puts into perspective what God has done for us. It's not like God has left us and said, "Oh, you're on your own. Go figure it out." You know, God has extended the opportunity to all of humanity mm-hmm. to get out of hell. You know, but uh, let me empathize with. Uh, maybe some of our listeners, and they they might hear that twist on the question and go, touche, Pastor Jarvis, that is a good point. But at the end of the day, we still have a good God tormenting people. And when we think about people like Hitler, Mao, Stalin, the list goes on and on and on, anytime someone torments human beings, they're considered a despot. They're considered evil. So what makes God fundamentally different than Hitler? Wow. I'm back in my chair up here a little bit. So <laughs> the lightning bolt doesn't hit my corner of the room. Uh, no, I've, I've just never heard it put that way before. What makes God different from Hitler? So many things come to mind. Um, Maybe their nature, character. I don't know. We could start a million places. <laughs> right. Like God is pure holiness and righteousness and goodness and awesomeness and beauty and everything else. But right. I mean, but that is, I mean, emotionally. Got it. You know, if Hitler tried to convince us that he's good and right, we'd right. be like, no, you're evil. Absolutely. And so like on one sense, non-Christians and, and sometimes even Christians, we put God on trial and we say, prove yourself. Yeah. You know, like in my world, and that's all I have is my perspective Every time someone does this, it's atrocity, and yet you do it and you say you it is the pinnacle of holiness and righteousness and goodness, and that if 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 we were good, we would approve of this. Right. We 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 do better than God a lot of times in our own minds. At least I do yeah, regularly. Right. Yeah. So <laughs> uh, so again, uh, I just want to point a passage of scripture out yeah. to those that are listening, just in case they want to research this a little further. It's in Romans three, and it talks about the decay. Actually, Romans one, two, Romans three it talks about the decay of the human existence of mm-hmm. the human psyche from from um, our desire to want to please ourselves rather than pleasing God. Even yeah. though every one of us knows that there's a God, we, we don't give him credit or even thanks. Mm-hmm. And as a result of that, it goes on to say there's none righteous, no, not one. No one seeks after God. No one understands. Uh, you know, it, no one, no one, no one, no one. No, no one, one yeah. exactly. Yeah. So we are clearly told that because of that sin that we both are, are thrust into when we're born but comes naturally to every one of us, 
there's a price to pay. So there's a, a few things I would say on this. First of all, when when we look at, at God and, and say, okay, well, yes, he provides us a way of redemption through Jesus Christ, and that is more than we deserve. On the other hand, he's he's allowing somebody to be tormented in hell for eternity. And again, it's it's a it's an interest when you're look, looking at that. C.S. Lewis talks a little bit about this, and he talks about um, the fact that when the sinner comes to God, he comes in his tattered, beaten, um, worn-out clothes. And the closer, being far away from God and in the darkness, he doesn't understand his condition. But the closer he gets to the light, the more he understands his depravity, the more he understands his his desperate condition because the light, the holy light of God shines on it and he begins to understand who he is. The sinner, the one who chooses to continue to be a rebel against God in this life would also continue to be a rebel against God in the life to come. So C.S. Lewis makes this argument. It would almost be more torturous and more insane for a a good, holy, loving God to force a rebel into heaven than for him to allow him to stay in his depravity for all eternity because in his rebellion, he chooses to never change. It's seen in the book of Revelation when the mount, when, uh, when the bowls and the vials are all let loose and humanity falls apart and the grace of God is taken away, the Holy Spirit is removed and all hell literally breaks loose on the planet. Uh, it's interesting to see that the sinner's reaction to that, you'd think it would be, oh, God, save us, crying out to God for salvation. But their reaction in Revelation is not to cry out to God for mercy, but their reaction is to get angrier with God and to shake their fist in his face and to blame him more. Mm-hmm. And that's the point. It's our sin twists us to the point where we cannot accept grace. Yep. And to accept grace, to be forced into grace is almost more merciless than for us to come on our knees repentant, accepting uh, accepting it or choosing not to, yep. and as a result, spending eternity based on those choices. Yep. When um, people come to Christ, one of the things I, I have to help them understand is, look, you know, you're obviously guilty of sin, right? <clears throat> sin has affected every part of you. Mm. But what people don't often understand is how much sin affects how we think. Yeah, that's right. And so what I um, try to help people understand is that, look, you're coming to Christ and you understand the basics. You know, Jesus is God. He died on the cross for your sins. He rose again from the dead. It's not by works. It's by faith. Like you Mm -hmm. got those, right? Mm -hmm. But then what I have to tell them is that sin has so corrupted your mind that almost everything you think you know about God is wrong. Mm -hmm. He's bigger than you think he is. Mm -hmm. He's better than you think he is. The things he calls good, you actually call evil. And the things mm-hmm. you call evil, he actually calls good. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, it's crazy how much our view of God is basically cultivated by our culture, right? Mm-hmm. And we import and transfer this idea of who God is to our culture. And so mm-hmm. um, one of the hard realities is that this question is asked from a framework of a mind that sees God in its own image rather than the way God is actually created. So like we tell our church this all the time. If you knew what God knew you would do what God does every single time. Mm-hmm. And if you felt what God felt about what he knew, mm-hmm. you would feel how God feels mm-hmm. every time. And yep. so like the our our problem with this question is is not that God is on trial, it's that our brains are still affected with sin and that God is still redeeming our minds mm-hmm. to right thinking. And uh, at the end of the day, we'll stand before God mm-hmm. and we will watch what he does and we will somehow give him glory and honor for hell. 
Like that's crazy thought. It is crazy, me, you know? but it's absolutely true. Right. And so like I, I have to, when I come to these questions, I, I have to just admit on the front end, okay, God, I confess to you that even my mind is infected with sin and that because of my culture, um, I need you to, to, to dismantle how I'm thinking about you where it's wrong. And I invite you by the word of God to reassemble me and put my brain back to be thinking correctly. Mm-hmm. And uh, you, God, at the end of the day, are not on trial and giving an account to my cultural view of you. Mm-hmm. Culture will have to give an accounting to you. Mm-hmm. And that's very different. And so um, one of the analogies I think that helps me is is if if you had a dad who was a judge and his son was standing before him having committed atrocity, the dad would send him to the correct punishment. And the dad would also take his place if he could. Mm-hmm. And But nobody would look at a dad who is a judge, who is just and right, and say, let him off scot-free, no big deal. That would never, mm-hmm. no dad would do that. And right. we would just, we would cry foul on that. Mm-hmm. Especially if it was a wrong done to us. Oh my goodness. Mm-hmm. I mean, if my mom or my brother or my sister or my wife or my children mm-hmm. were the victims of this atrocity, I would say, no, I want justice mm-hmm. now. And it's interesting because God is like in a catch. God is a righteous, good judge. And there are atrocities, i.e. sin, that is committed by all of humanity. And we want to say, don't punish us, don't, you know, but on the same level, we want God to look at Hitler and Stalin and Mao and, and tons of despots and dictators throughout history and say, no, no, you send them to hell. It's like he can't win. He's like, it's like I'm a dad with a whole bunch of kids who have committed cosmic treason and, and I don't know what to do, but he does know what to do because he's just and righteous. And so I think on one level, um, if we just picture sin is no big deal right. and that's God is like a fluffy dad yeah, who's like, oh, I love you. Yeah. It's all good. That's not how it works. Yeah. That's, and that's, you're so right because that's why we need to go back to the beginning yep. and understand how great a rebellion we committed in Genesis 3 and how that comes naturally to us nowadays. I would venture to say that, that even this week that people are listening to this podcast, they could think back on at least one or two little sins that they've done against God. But to recognize God as completely holy, separate mm. from sin, and recognize the that what we're doing is just propagating that sin that has infiltrated the world that he has created to to be for his glory so our sin continues to use it for our for our own glory mm. we recognize that we are truly rebels in the eyes of god yep. and when we recognize that um, and we and we give god credit for being completely holy and just as as completely he is just and loving yep. Then we then we begin to understand exactly what you're saying. Yeah, yep. we we've reprogrammed sin has reprogrammed our minds. Yep. And one more thing, yeah. thank God for His mercy in giving us His Word, mm. because it's the Bible, and only the Bible is called the Holy Bible. Mm. It is the separate book of all books to give us a blueprint of how our minds can be reprogrammed. Yep. Romans twelve. Don't be any longer conformed to the image of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, mind. so that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God until yep. you allow Christ, the Holy Spirit, to reprogram your mind through the power of the Holy Spirit com- communicating the truth of the Bible to you. You will not understand. You'll be, you'll be like a ship tossed to and fro, yep. going from philosophy to philosophy, trying to figure God out when in reality, or listening to these crazy people on TV <laughs> that that uh, that tell you who God is. Yep. When in reality, God has given us in his mercy a book that explains him. The more time we spend in there, the easier this is to understand. Amen. Amen. That's awesome. I love that. I love it. I love it. I love it. So um, to all of our listeners, and uh, our, our desire very simply is to 
answer questions, real questions that you have, open up God's word with you and share with you the best truthful answer from God's word that mm-hmm. we can possibly give you. So we hope you're encouraged by that. I know there'll be follow-up questions to this one, so we want to invite you to bring those on. You can go to our website, vcob.org, and uh, right on the home page is a button that says Q&A podcast. Submit your questions there. And uh, we really, really appreciate all of the questions that you are regularly submitting. We're having a blast here in the studio, and uh, we kind of a privilege to spend this time with you. I want to invite you back next time when we are with, again, Pastor Jarvis, as well as Pastor Ian Simpkins from Poplar Creek Church here in Bartlett, Illinois. And we're going to answer the question, so why does God allow physical disabilities? Join us tomorrow.